Welcome back to What's Good, a podcast about feel-good positive news. Welcome to our fourth episode. Uh, This week we have a special guest who we will introduce later, but our topic this week is positive news with journalists, which is a topic very near and dear to my heart and your heart too, Emily, I would say. I love it. Um, So I'm super excited. This idea came to my mind because actually, exciting announcement, I'm going to the White House Correspondents' uh, Dinner next weekend. We have to insert little cheers there. (laughs) So I'm very excited and I was just thinking about all the incredible people in our field, especially with a lot of the anti-journalist sentiment that's going on in our country and with politicians. So I thought that this would be like a perfect topic for the week. I love it. So kind of starting off, I've, I've noticed a recent trend in media lately where a lot of publications are focused on the good in the world, which is pretty refreshing to see. Yeah, I've seen social media initiatives or, as you've mentioned um, to me in the past, landing pages mm-hmm. for positive news or I think a certain media outlet does non-political news, which mm-hmm. I think is also refreshing. Yeah, so I guess that's like kind of what we're going for here with this podcast. Yeah. Um, So maybe we're kind of hopping on the bandwagon, but uh, I think it is indicative of what the audience wants and they desire to hear something good because even amongst all the bad, we still want to have some sort of hope. Yeah. So it is worth noting, um, especially like I said, among the anti-journalists, like fake news sentiment, um, our goal is to highlight the truth of what is fact and what is newsworthy so oftentimes that might look disparaging or negative or sad from the outside but ultimately our goal is to talk about truth right so that being said there are a lot of things that happen every day that we might not necessarily see make the news because it's not flashy or clickbaity or it's not getting as much much traction but journalists especially local journalists who kind of have their finger on the pulse of the community they cover are they've always been seeking out the newsmakers around them. Right, and I think people would realize if we didn't have these people, these local journalists, they would realize what they're missing out on. Yeah, and a lot of times these positive stories do get buried um, easily from scandals and tragedy, mm-hmm. which with the algorithm, alg- I can't speak today, <laughs> with the algorithms that you know a lot of these social media places use, like it's mm-hmm. it becomes buried, but a lot of publications are now, now trying to make good news more easily accessible. Which I love. Yeah. So, for example, big publications like the New York Times and CNN and The Week offer daily newsletters that readers can sign up for and get positive news sent to their inbox first thing in the morning. I know I do that. Do you? I do that and I check positive news. Um, New York Times... I follow like the Washington Post and CNN on Instagram and stuff. And when I get their emails, they're always like, here's your non-political news. And I'm like, click. Yeah. So that was the other thing I was going to talk about. Weekly, I get a push notification from CNN where they do mm-hmm. a roundup of news that doesn't include politics. So that doesn't necessarily mean that it's like positive, but it right. does mean that um, it, as someone who is constantly thinking about politics and policies and legislation and blah, 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 it's nice to know that there's other things going on that do matter. Um, and another one that comes to my mind, speaking of Washington Post, is I really, really love The Lily. Um, I adore them. It's a women's publication. Uh, okay. They were the first women's newspaper, and The Washington Post brought them back. Um, and they work out of The Washington Post newsroom, and it's a team of about, I think there's now about 10 women, and they produce a lot of content that just pertains to women. And their Instagram, their de- design, everything is incredible. And they 
have a weekly roundup too, I would say once a week maybe, of positive women news, which is where I actually pulled a lot of our story for our episode on I was going to say, you've referenced it before. I think even on this podcast, but I haven't taken a look. I'm definitely going to do that. I love them. The editor-in-chief actually is an Ohio University grad, Amy Ah. King. She studied in Viscom, visual communications for people that aren't familiar with the vernacular here. We're a very elite journalism school. No big deal. Um, So, of course, I have to give a plug to the Columbus Dispatch. Uh, I worked for the Dispatch last summer on their Metro desk, and this summer I'm going back to their digital desk doing sorts of fun things there. So I do want to give a major shout out to their digital team, which is a kick-ass group of journalists who are doing awesome things, kind of in line with our theme. They actually, in recent months, launched a landing page of all their good news stories in Ohio. It's called The Good Life, and they also started and moderate a public Facebook group called The Good Life as well, where they post their positive stories and provide a platform to connect with journalists and their audience, which is really cool. Beautiful. So, so I'm excited to be back there. So all of this is kind of segging into something new that we're trying this week. Like I mentioned at the beginning, we do have a guest with us, and I guess that's a thing we do now. Um, yeah. But today in the studio, we have Sheridan Hendricks. Hey. She's a reporter <laughs> with the Columbus Dispatch, so welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So Sheridan's actually the sweetest person ever. She Stop. texted me. It's true. <laughs> she texted me a few weeks ago, and she was like, oh my gosh, your podcast. Like, I love podcasts. If you ever need a guest, I'm your girl. And so here she is, our first ever guest. She I am drove, so honored. Yeah, she drove, she drove far to be here. So we, we love and appreciate her. So um, I met her last summer at the Dispatch. She was there on her second internship with them. She was on the Features Desk last summer and the Metro Desk the summer before. Uh, We were really far away. I was on the fourth floor. You were on the first floor. It was like a forbidden love. But we became friends. It's the worst. True. But we always went to those food trucks. Exactly. Had to get my weekly food truck time with Abby in. (laughs) Absolutely. So I do have to brag on her a little bit because Sheridan did get hired at the Dispatch, which is a pretty big publication. Um, straight out of graduation, she interned there, and then she segged it into a job, which is amazing. And there is a cool trend of a lot of interns getting hired there. Megan Henry, Kevin Stankowitz, some young people in there, which is cool. So Sheridan, why don't you start by telling us about yourself and about your role at the Dispatch? Yeah, so I graduated from Ohio State's um, journalism program also a really great journalism program, but OU school too. Um, (laughs) I graduated from Ohio State in May of 2018. And uh, before that, I had worked for The Lantern. I was a uh, projects reporter, student projects reporter. So I did several long-term stories while I was there about uh, pretty hard topics. I wrote about student suicide rates on college campuses. I wrote about college students who, um, who have cancer Um, or who are in remission from cancer. I wrote about mental health services at Ohio State and um, kind of the state of how those are. And uh, breaking news, it's not great. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the summer before that, I had worked at the Columbus Dispatch on the Metro desk as an intern. And then at the end of my uh, summer internship, they'd asked me to stay on if I wanted to to work cops on the weekends. 
So I stayed on during the school year and I worked uh, cops on Sundays. And cops is a, a fun, lighthearted shift, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. You, listen, <laughs> you sit and you listen to a police scanner for eight hours. And if anything happens, you're the one to go cover it. Um, I'll be like, oh man, Jim, this person just got shot. And he'd be like, let's wait and see if they die first. And I'm like, oh, ah! exactly. Well, it's crazy. I mean, the crazy thing about like, if you listen to a police scanner, you hear shootings a lot, but mm-hmm. if it's not fatal, we don't write about it because a lot of people just get shot in the hand or shot in the leg and not that that's like right any no. less terrible um but we're only going to write about it unfortunately if they're fatal or in critical right. condition so sure um so yeah i graduated i came on for a second internship at the dispatch on the features desk and then about halfway through my internship um a position became open and i applied for it uh and now i cover eastern and southeastern ohio for the dispatch so we're in your territory right now. Yes, yeah. exactly. Here in Athens County. I love it down here. Yeah, you were here uh, in the fall for the sexual assault. Rally. Yes. Another not fun story, but... Important. Important. Definitely. Exactly. So you're the perfect person for this specific episode because we want to talk about how journalists cover positive news. Obviously, you've covered a lot of really hard and difficult topics. And you actually... Didn't you win an award, SBJ award, for that suicide story? I did, yeah. Congrats. Wow, congrats. Thank you. Appreciate it. She's dope. But um, you just wrote recently a story that I absolutely adored, and you know which one it is because I texted you about it. So can you talk about that specific story, kind of like how you came up with the idea, the interviewing process, all that sort of thing? Are you talking about Garrett? Garrett. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So Garrett Ford is a 20-year-old power lifter from Pataskala, Ohio, who has autism spectrum disorder. I came across this story... Um, kind of on accident. I have um, some sources out in Newark, which is another territory that I cover. And someone had, you know, called me up and they were like, you know, it'd be really great for you to do a story about the Special Olympics and some of the challenges that uh, these families and these athletes face because it's it's not just all sunshine and rainbows all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it's an incredible organization, you know, these families still have a lot to deal with raising a Special Olympic athlete. And I was like, you know, that'd be like a really interesting story. Um, but I needed someone to be the character, the main character in my story. Um, so, you know, flash forward a couple of months, I'm meeting with some, uh, some of the folks at the Licking County Board of Developmental Disabilities, and I shared this idea with them. They were like, oh, well, we have, there's this guy, Garrett Ford, who went to the Special Olympic, uh, the Special Olympic Games in Seattle over the summer, who won four gold medals in wow. powerlifting. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's mm-hmm. amazing. Uh, I have to talk with him. I have to meet him and his family. And so I went over to his family's house in Pataskala and met with him and his mom, Leah, who are just, they're the nicest family. They're so wonderful. And I told, I, we just sat down for a couple hours and we just talked about life and, you know, what their life is like, how Garrett got into powerlifting, um, you know, what his goals are, what his ambitions are. Um, and the cool thing is that Garrett, which I totally forgot to mention this because it's like the biggest part of the story is that Garrett uh, qualified because he won so many gold medals in Seattle. He um, qualified to go to the Special Olympic World Games in Abu Dhabi in March. So that was kind of the news peg to the story. But what I really wanted to do was give people an inside look into what what the life of a Special Olympic athlete looks like kind of day to day. So Leah and Garrett and their whole family were so wonderful to work with us. Myself and Josh Bickle, who's a photojournalist at the Dispatch, spent a couple of months hanging out with him and his family. We would go to practice. We would hang out at the house. He works at Rural King uh, out in Heath. 
So we hung out with him and uh, just got to spend a lot of time with them and their family and see what their lives are like. Um, and then put together a, I, what I would say is a really awesome package about mm-hmm. what it looks like uh, for this 20 year old power lifter to not just be a power lifter, you know, with autism, but be a really freaking good power lifter right. who also happens to have autism. Um, and it was, it was such an honor to get to do that story because Garrett and his family are so wonderful, but, um, to give people an idea of what it, it's not like the special Olympics is so awesome because it gives so many people an outlet to be active and, um, to get out in the community. But there's often this stigma with special Olympic athletes, like, oh, those are their games or we have to segregate them uh, and give them a space of their own. But Garrett really breaks down those barriers and shows like, no, he's just a really good power lifter. Right. He's pound for pound one of the best power lifters in the country. And, you know, it doesn't matter that he has autism. Right. That's incredible. I love that story. I'll have to check that out, too. I have to start a running list here. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of going along with that, what would you say that your favorite story you've written has been? Oh, man, like ever? Ever. <laughs> We can we can narrow it to the dispatch. Yeah, if that to makes the it dispatch because I'm like, man, I wrote some stories that I really liked at the Lantern, but I would have to really consider how those stand up. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, writing Garrett's story was one of my favorites just because of the the time and the access that we got uh, with Garrett and his family was awesome. Um, Josh and I were talking. Uh, we've talked about this multiple times, but it's just so cool to get to spend time with people and their families and not just, uh, I don't know, not just kind of fly in and be like, oh, cool, you're a power lifter, or oh, cool, you do this, and let me write up a quick daily, which is important too. Like those stories need to fill our paper as well, but to really be able to spend time with people and learn about their lives and see how they tick and uh, just get to really just be part of the family Right. For a lot of it, I, I think that writing Garrett's story was probably one of my favorites. And that's why I think that the community journalists are doing such a good job because, I mean, it's not like you're flying someone out for the Today Show, which I'm not saying that that's not good exposure and right. not an honor, but someone who can really dedicate the time the way that you did is really, really impressive and really important. So, yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, um, kind of more generally, well, I guess keeping on the story really fast. What kind of feedback did you get from readers from this? It was all positive, which I don't know if I've ever written a story no. <laughs> where I have only ever had positive feedback. Um, I I felt really grateful to be able to write this story for a number of reasons, but one that was really cool is the story came out um, on a Saturday, and Garrett competed on Sunday in Abu Dhabi. So there was this huge time difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like texting his mom at like 3 a.m. our time when it was like, you know, 9 a.m. their time or whatever. But when the story came out, it was, um, it was clearly came out in the morning, Saturday morning here in uh, Ohio time. But um, I knew that it was going to be super late in Abu Dhabi. So I texted his mom. I was like, hey, sorry. Like, I don't know what you're, I don't know if you're sleeping. I don't know what's up, but um, here's the link to the story. We're going to save some papers for you guys. Cause him and his family had been there for a couple of, or like a week, week and a half at that point. 
And like 20 minutes later, his mom texts me back. She's like, I am crying at the basketball like tournament out in Abu Dhabi. I can't believe this. Like you did such a great job. This is so incredible. And um, I think like that was probably the most meaningful message that I got. Like I got tons of feedback from uh, boards of developmental disabilities and people who read the story that were super inspired and want to donate to the Special Olympics or, or do something for Garrett's family. But while those are all awesome and I feel really thankful for those too, like being able to know that Garrett and his family really love the story, that's like what matters most to me because at the end of the day, like I I spent so much time with them. I want to be able to do their do their story justice and be able to share that with them. Absolutely. Impact, I think, is really seen, especially at that local level. Oh, yeah. For sure. I wrote actually a story this summer at the Dispatch and I had like, it was out in Newark, so hey. uh, it was before there was... Uh, I mean, maybe there was the vacancy in the position. I don't know. But I pitched this story out in Newark that I had somehow stumbled across of um, this program that helped veterans with PTSD. And I spent a lot of time out there. um, And I wrote it, and it went to print. And I was like, cool, it's done, awesome. But then fall semester, so like months after, I got a call from the director of the program. And he's like, yeah, some anonymous Columbus donor read your story and like, donated a quarter of a million dollars to our program. I saw that. I like was in tears. I did not, I could not believe because people can say whatever is nice about your story or like the writing is really good or this or this or this, but that kind of like impact that you have on the people, the subjects of your story, that's the whole point. Right. I um, just recently, I did a story out in Lancaster, which is another um, territory that I cover about a uh, elderly couple who are both Navy veterans who um, were facing jail time because their house wasn't painted. I remember um, this. Oh. There's some international codes about having the exterior painting of your house um, up to date. And because, you know, they had gotten, uh, they have lived in this house for like 35 years. When I talked with them, they were like, we know the house needs work. Like the paint's peeling on the side of the house. They have lots of stuff on their front porch, but. Uh, because they're old, uh, they're 69 and 74 with you know a number of health issues. They're like, if we can't do it ourselves, it doesn't get done because we can't just afford to pay someone to come paint our whole house. So you know, some time goes by and they end up getting cited by the city for not having uh, by code enforcement for not having gotten this done in time. Some you know unfortunate legal stuff happened where Anna, the wife, had. Uh, misunderstood her court date ended up missing her court date and then got a warrant out for her arrest and had to spend a night in uh, Fairfield County Jail because she uh, was a no-show she didn't show up to her court date so uh, their attorney Anna's attorney had called me to say you know here's this story out in Lancaster this is crazy Mm -hmm. you should write about this so I was like okay and I kind of put on the back burner for a couple of weeks because I was finishing up writing Garrett's story and I had a couple of other things that I was doing but Um, I was looking back, I just keep like, I live off of post-it notes and Mm -hmm. like checklists. So (laughs) I look through them every couple of weeks to make sure that I haven't missed anything. And I saw that there was this, the Lancaster paint story. And I was like, oh man, I should, I should check in on that. So, um, I called Anna and I talked with her on the phone for a little bit. And, uh, it was a really like quick turnaround. I maybe did it in like two days, um, talking with the city, talking with Anna, talking with the attorneys and. Uh, looking up some city code and we went out and took some pictures of their house and it went to print on a on Saturday and I woke up Saturday morning to maybe like 
20 emails in my inbox of people mostly positive saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe that this has happened. How can I help? And I was like pretty overwhelmed. Like, oh, I, I don't know how you can help. I haven't considered this response. Like I knew that, you know, someone was probably going to be like, oh man, that really sucks. We should do something about it. But by the end of the weekend, I had gotten no less than 75 emails from veteran groups, from people in Lancaster, from people like as far as Wisconsin wow. and like I think Arkansas that were like, we will drive our con like construction crew out to their house and do this work for them. And I was like, oh my God, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how are you getting access to this story? How are you reading this? And it's crazy. I was so blown away, so overwhelmed. I was hanging out with my boyfriend on Saturday and I was like, I just need to take like 15 minutes and respond to all of these emails. And he was like, yeah, do your thing. Mm -hmm. Do what you need. We so, love supportive boyfriends. Yes, big fan of supportive journalism boyfriends. <laughs> so come Monday, um, I hadn't checked in with the family or the attorney, but I saw that um, one of our local TV stations had done a story that one of these people that had volunteered was going to completely redo their house for them and paint their house and do their landscaping and banisters and new windows and insulation and like all this stuff. So I reach out to the family. I reach out to Anna um, on Monday or Tuesday. And then I reach out to the uh, contractors that ended up, you know, volunteering. They like showed up at their house at like 8am and they were like, we want to do your house for free. Like, please let us do your house. Oh my and they were just so overwhelmed by the number of people coming out to show support for them. And it back to impact, you know, why I'm telling the story is like, you never know like what the impact of your story is going to be until it's out in the world. Um, and I think like that's what we can all really hope for as journalists is that something good comes from the stuff that we do. Um, and you don't have to be like a hot shot New York Times journalist who are amazing at what mm -hmm. they do, but you don't have to write for a huge publication to be able to make some kind of impact with the work that you're doing. Um, I like still, I'm like, oh my God, did that really happen? Like, mm -hmm. did I really like write this story and like these are the results of it? Like, I feel really grateful that I got to do that story and help this family out. And I'm always going to remember that, that if I do nothing else in my career um, to help anyone, that I at least got this couple you know, the help that they needed at this time. It's incredible how stories like that become calls to action at the local level even. And then farther than that, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So Someone in Arkansas is on their way and they're yeah. still on a route. Right. I was like, <laughs> hey, thanks so much for reaching out. I might like touch base with their attorney first just to make sure that you like don't drive all the way out here and <laughs> realize yeah. that they're already doing the house. <laughs> but thanks so much for reading. That's funny. That's really, really great. I love that. Cool. Well, thank you, Sheridan, for sharing that story. We Absolutely. really appreciate it. We really appreciate having you here. So now we're going to go to What's Good on the Street, where we go interview people here on Court Street in Athens, Ohio. Hey, there's Olivier. Saw, dude. <laughs> um, this week... While I'm recording this at the Washington Hilton and seeing the president of the White House Correspondents <laughs> Association, um, I am editing There's some responses I got from local journalists and my close friends in Athens who are doing amazing things. What's your favorite thing about being a journalist? My name is Heather Willard and I'm a reporter for the Athens Messenger in Athens County, Ohio. 
My favorite part of my job is the people I meet. There's always something fascinating about them, whatever story it may be. You meet people who raise homing pigeons or are starting their own business or just have something fascinating to learn about them. And I think that is truly the heart and soul of local journalism. It's what makes me excited every time I head to the office. Uh, hi, I'm Maggie Campbell. I'm a junior studying journalism at Ohio University, and I'm also president of SBJ, and I am a writer for The Post. And my favorite part about being a journalist is the people, um, not only the people I work with, but the people I cover and the people who read my stories. Um, I'm somebody who feels that every story needs to have that connection. Um, you can write about policy all you want, but if you don't have the people who it's impacting, it doesn't matter. And so that's kind of what I think is important, and it's really amazing to see the impact that a story can have. Hi, my name is Tyler Buchanan, and I'm a newspaper editor in Southeast Ohio for two publications, The Athens Messenger, which is a daily based in Athens, and The Vinton Jackson Courier, which is a weekly newspaper based in MacArthur. My favorite part about being a journalist is it really gives me an opportunity on a daily basis uh, to have sort of a creative outlet for myself. I love writing feature stories. I love being able to come up with different charts or graphics to go along with my stories. Um, and as an editor, I really get to do that a lot in working one-on-one -on -one with paginators and designers to, to design the newspaper in a creative way, to showcase the news in what I hope is an interesting way for readers. I just really enjoy being able to be creative on a daily basis, and journalism and reporting has really provided me with a job that I can do that every single day. So we're back, and Sheridan is still here, and she is welcome to have a conversation with us on this remaining part of the episode because she is a working journalist, so she's a step above us because no, we're still never. students. Stop. <laughs> but we want to talk now about the Pulitzer Prizes. So the Pulitzer Prize winners were just announced, and give me a second to geek out about it because. I love journalism. I could talk about journalism forever. I have a newspaper tattooed on my arm with the words freedom of the press. Super exciting stuff. So I was stoked when I heard that they were announced because I'm so happy that they exist, not just because journalists are getting the recognition for their work, yay about that, but also because the general public as consumers get this content boosted and so more people are likely to hear about all this good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So there's obviously a lot of good news surrounding that that I could talk about forever. I'd like to start with some good news about one of our own here from Ohio University. So some of you might know, well, I said it like four times already this episode. I don't think yeah. I've said it in the past, but Emily and I studied journalism at OU here in Athens. Um, as a fellow, a fellow Bobcat was just honored as part of a team as a finalist for exploratory reporting at the Washington Post. No surprise there, the Washington Post has a lot of resources and incredible people putting together good work. So that person was Wes Lowry. He's a really accomplished young black reporter with a diverse and really unique perspective. I always enjoy his pieces that he does. I love to hear about successful alumni from Ohio just because it's such a strong network, but I also have to admit that I'm excited to hear about success of someone with his perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, he didn't graduate. 
A lot of our successful alumni do not graduate. Matt Lauer didn't graduate. Can I say Does that? Does Matt Lauer count as a successful? Yeah, well, <laughs> we can't, we can't, we can't boast him anymore, and we nor should we. But right. I remember when I came on my tour, they were like above Court Street Coffee, those apartments. That's where Matt Lauer lived and partied. <laughs> and then on homecoming, I finally went up there for the first time because I had a friend of a friend, and they were like, "Come to Court Street, the apartments of Court Street." And I was up there, and I was like, "I'm so cool," but also at the same time, I was like, "Ugh, Matt Lauer." Yeah, but, I mean, one of the Paul brothers went to school here and didn't graduate as well. So. Who? like Logan Paul. oh yeah just goes to show that you don't need a college diploma to do cool things in your life yeah, although true. college degrees are really cool yeah mm-hmm. it's true he did commencement and I think they gave him an honorary diploma or something but a lot of them I think were just that good that they just said yeet and went and <laughs> went to work but Matt Sapowski I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right Matt Sapowski I don't know but he works for the Washington Post and he graduated from OU too so happy to hear about that <laughs> it's cool so actually Wes also interned at the Columbus Dispatch yes he did he did back in his day I didn't know that until I interned there last summer and people were talking about him so I'm sure you heard about him big too. love for OU at the Dispatch yes it's true also for Ohio State our editor um Paul Serrata shout out he's not listening to this <laughs> but um <laughs> He he went to OU too. A very proud Bobcat. Proud OU'd. Oh jeez. <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, Wes worked alongside so many other incredible reporters who put together a really exhaustive database detailing unsolved homicides in America's major cities. Intense. Yes. Really and great story. It was. I remember when it came out last summer. It's a really interactive story. So I spent forever typing in like zip codes and cities. Actually, I was at my desk at the dispatch, and I was like, look at this. I love this. This is so cool. And I tweeted a little, I love this tweet, and tagged Wes, and he favorited my tweet. And I was like, my heart. But um, it's one of the best parts about Twitter for journalists is that you can directly work with and talk with the people that you're that are reading your stories. I love it. I, I completely agree. It's also a dumpster fire, but there's good stuff <laughs> yes, on there, too. <laughs> That's the best analogy I've heard for Twitter. It's so true. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So I do recommend checking out the story. Like Sheridan said, it's really cool and you can spend forever on it. So we'll probably tweet that out when the episode goes live, I would imagine. So congrats to Wes and the folks at the Washington Post. Yay. Yay. (laughs) Trying to find good news from the Pulitzer Prize list was challenging. We literally just talked about Wes's story, talking about murder in America. Um, Every story had words like tragic, desperation, sadness, polarizing, and the most watered down, but still intense, hard-hitting drama. This makes me excited in the way that there are so many journalists out there chasing stories and truth regardless of how hard they are because of the public's need to know. Yeah, definitely. And kind of like Wes's story wasn't exactly exciting, but it does shed light on really important issues that hopefully you can make a change and there can be a shift in the way society works from these stories, or at least a shift in public opinion. Right. But again, to shift away from outright unfortunate content, I want to show some appreciation for Darren Bell, a freelancer that created editorial cartoons um, regarding the presidency and issues in minority communities. The good thing that I'm pulling from this is that, one, you have to see these cartoons. They're beautiful and they're bold, and honestly, they're just pleasant to look at. Um, But two, he's a freelancer. And in the journalism community, being a freelancer takes a lot of 
dedication, some degree of faith in yourself and others, and a lot of time. So It's a lot of rejection. I will yes. say that. Yes. A lot of rejection. So go Darren Bell for getting a freaking Pulitzer while doing it. Yeah, that's really, that's really amazing. I'm always so jealous of people that can do art and cartoons and cool, cool stuff like that, because that's way beyond me. <laughs> and finally, as if the Pulitzer board didn't have a very special place in my heart already. They offered special awards and citations to two very special recipients. Have either of you heard about this? No, I haven't. I heard about it when we were doing our research right before the show, so I'm not going to cheat. I'll (laughs) let you talk. Okay. So the first one was to Aretha Franklin for, end quote, We stand. Of course we do. (laughs) For her indelible, did I say that right? Indelible. I don't know. <laughs> you guys get the point. Words yeah. are hard. Words yeah. are hard. Good and thing that's we're our print. Job. <laughs> I guess we're not anymore. I know I had to yeah. okay, continue. Her indelible contribution to American music and culture for more than five decades. Nice. Yep. And the one that got me was the one to the Capitol Gazette in Annapolis, Maryland. The announcement read, a special citation to honor the journalists, staff, and editorial board of the Capitol Gazette. Annapolis, Maryland, for their courageous response to the largest killing of journalists in U.S. history in the newsroom on June 28, 2018, and for demonstrating unflagging commitment to covering the news and serving their community at a time of unspeakable grief. The citation comes with a $100,000 bequest by the Pulitzer Board to be used to further the newspaper's journalistic mission. Wow. That's yeah. so cool. I just got chills. Yeah. I know. It's crazy. I remember being in the newsroom when that happened oh, at yeah. the dispatch. And uh, my internship advisor came in, and she was, like, inconsolable because we had seen a tweet by one of the interns where they just basically yeah. said, like, active shooter, we need help, and just how easily that could be any of us in that. So, And they still put out a paper. Yeah. They still put out a damn paper. Yep. So good for them. That's, I mean, obviously a lot of tragedy in that context. You know, it's so incredible to see that that was recognized. And $100,000 is a lot of money. That can stretch yeah. so far oh, for yeah. a newspaper. My response, I had two responses. One, there is not grief where there was not love first. And so people were lost that day, but we hurt because they were cared for. Mm-hmm. And then two, the response from the community about supporting these people and what they've gotten, the, the type of support that they've gotten as a result of it is inspiring. Yeah. And I love that. I agree. So we'll wrap it up with that, and we're going to go to our final segment, What's Good in the Media, where we talk about what we're binging and listening to, et cetera. So let's give Sheridan the first spot for that. Ooh. So what are you watching or listening to? What are you like in love with right now? Oh, man, I was not prepared for this. Um, so there's a podcast that I listen to. I'm on the road a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I drive a lot for my job, but... Um, there's a couple of podcasts that I listen to pretty regularly. One is Right Lane uh, with Lane DeGregory. She is a oh. features reporter at the Tampa Bay Times. She's incredible. And uh, one thing that I really love about this podcast is that specifically for journalists or for writers, she talks a lot about craft and how she finds her stories. Um, and it's just really, I love listening to journalists just talk about journalism and how they get their stories. So um Big fan of that. And then, uh, does a book count? Can I talk about a book? Oh, nerd. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah go for it. I joined a book club yes. uh, after I graduated because I was like, I miss making new friends. So I joined a book club, and right now we are reading a book called Homegoing, which is um, 
set in 18th century Ghana, and it follows the lives of two sisters um, who were separated at birth, basically, um, and their families through like eight generations. So one of the families, um, I'm only a few chapters in, but one of the families uh, stays in Ghana and like kind of works with the slave trade. And then the other sister was um, uh, in the slave trade sent to America. So it's it's a really interesting read. I would highly recommend it. Uh, I have not read like full books for pleasure in a long time just because of being in school and when you work at for a newspaper you read a lot of news already so it can be easy to be like do I really need to sit down and read a book when I've already read so much today but this I am like obsessed with this book high key recommend that's awesome and we're getting to that point in the semester for us where we have like a million projects and things to do and preparing for the summer that I'm like not watching listening to doing anything except yeah. for like the songs I already listened to but um I will talk about a show that I totally f- to I guess Hulu, I always forget about for some reason. It comes yeah. with our Spotify premium as students. I think now for everyone. Yes, I just I just got that deal so that I don't have to pay eight more dollars a month. Yes. So I watched the show Blackish. I've watched it since it first came out. Have you seen that? Yes. Yeah, you smiled. Um, it's a really, really good show about a black family living in a suburban neighborhood in LA. And it kind of talks about like microaggressions and things that happen daily. And they do talk about like systemic racism and a lot of other important topics but they've been really getting political lately they've always kind of been political but a lot of the more recent episodes have talked about complexities of things like light skin versus dark skin and like privilege well I mean they always talk about privilege but they have had some really episodes that have made me uncomfortable lately but the discomfort is what causes action and introspection yeah so I recommend that and it's not anything new I've watched it for a while but I've never talked about it here so that would be my recommendation. All right. Well, well, I have finally finished like the first season of The Neighborhood, which I watched with my parents, which is so funny because it stars Cedric the Entertainer and um, who? For all my Girl. black friends out there, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at you right now. Anyway, um, yeah. So starring Cedric the Entertainer and. I think the girl from Two Broke Girls, Beth Bears, I believe is her name. And it, it just talks about this family that lives in this like black community in LA and then all of a sudden this white family moves in. It's kind of like a role reversal and dealing with that. And it's so fun because I'm multiracial. My mom's white and my dad's black. And so they're both like taking jabs and like having fun. And it's a good, it's a good family show. So that would be my first one. And then... Oh, on the weekends and downtime, I started Brooklyn Nine Nine. Oh my oh, gosh, I was yes. about, that was gonna be my other show I talked about. Oh, I love it. Good choice, man. That very it's like so emotional reaction is very. Yeah. I have to tell you, the plotline is fun, but also there's something very comforting in that they are all very average-looking, average-behaving people. That makes it so much more relatable and yes. so fun. I adore it. I love Charles. <laughs> I'm a huge Andy Samberg fan. Oh my Ever gosh. Ever since he was uh, on SNL, I've always been big Samberg fan over Do here. Do you see that picture of him with the beard? Yes. I know. <laughs> I was like, dang, okay. Andy Samberg stepped out. Are you looking it up? Yes, I am. I saw some meme. I'm probably going to butcher it, but it was on Twitter a while ago. Like, I don't even know. I think Andy Samberg's like 40 years old or something. Yeah. Like, he's not as young as he looks, mm-hmm. but someone was like, this is what happens when you're not problematic. You age with grace. I saw that yes. too. 
Paul yeah. Rudd. You sent me that meme yes. about Paul Rudd yeah. versus uh, some white supremacist who was like balding and ugly. <laughs> and it was like, here's what you can do if you're not hateful and terrible. And Paul Rudd actually had an interview where they asked him the key to like his youth. And he said like drinking the blood of infants. <laughs> Gosh. Which, okay, whoever's listening, stop, Emily. It's a joke. I know, but it's so <laughs> I don't want people to listen to this and be like, oh. Be like, wow, what a great idea. <laughs> They're like, I should do that. <laughs> that's such like a, my, my thing is like, that's such an out of left field answer. I but also I'm going for Paul Rudd, just to be a little goofy. <laughs> so on that oh happy God. note about drinking the blood of infants, we will wrap up. Actually, Emily and I have an announcement that we promised on our last episode. So... Here we go. Thank Emily, do general. you want to start? You can you can say your news. Oh, after a lot of consideration, I'm at a fork in my journalism career, and I'm not sure whether I want to go into documentary storytelling or law. So I've decided that next semester I will be interning in D.C., hopefully um, with the SPLC, the Student Press Law Center, or the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union. No way. You're going to D.C.? No, yeah. That's what, crazy. What's your news? I'm going to D.C. too. Wow. <laughs> that is insane. I guess we'll have to like live together or something. Isn't that I crazy? Guess. It's only practical. So fun. we're going to be participating in the Scripps in D.C. program, which is a new-ish program. It started a few years ago in our journalism school. Uh, it's a partner between the journalism school and the School of Visual Communication. We take four weeks of intensive classes. Uh, each week we have a new topic. And then we'll have a 10-week internship, which Emily and I are working on securing our internships right now. Right. But as of right now, we just know we're headed to the nation's capital. So I'll be there at the end of April for the White House Correspondents Association dinner, which is exciting. And then we'll come back. I'll be at the dispatch this summer. Hey. And then we're headed to D.C. So this podcast will not stop. Yes. Which is the exciting Can't part. Can't stop, won't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. I still got to listen to it. <laughs> you do. When I mentioned to Emily that I was thinking about this, she was like, what? Yeah, let's go. It wasn't even like a second thought. Yeah, Friday at like 10 o'clock in the morning, Abby brought it up to me. By the time I like rolled over in bed at 9 p.m. that night, I, I was like, I'm going to D.C. next semester. And that's that. So very exciting. Um, thank you for everyone who's listening. You can email us at whatsgoodpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at whatsgood underscore news. And we also have a Facebook page that you can like us on. So thank you. And until next time, bye. Bye.